Hello and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and retired Air Force Colonel. I am so excited for this month's guest. He is a New York Times bestselling author, a TV show writer, a comic book creator, and lucky for us, he's also a big supporter of the National Medal of Honor Museum, serving as a member of the Museum Foundation's Board of Directors. It is my pleasure to welcome Brad Meltzer to the Mission Inspire podcast. Brad, we are thrilled to have you join us today. I am so excited to be here because uh, I get to talk with nice people about something that I love. and We're going to have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, most people who become well-known for something are typically really, really good at one thing. But you have like sucked all the good genes out and you do a lot of really cool things and you do them all really well. So you got TV, comic books, fiction writing, nonfiction writing, children's books, advice books, a friend of presidents, an advisor to the Department of Homeland Security. Is there anything you don't do? <laughs> Grow hair. <laughs> <laughs> fair trade, no, you know, you, fair trade. No, the truth is, is I know I appreciate that compliment. It's very kind of you, but I also got 24 rejection letters on my very first book, right? There were only I, 20 publishers at the time, and I got 24 rejection letters. So, and listen, people are like, where's your movie, Brad? How come you don't have a movie? How come you don't? So there's plenty, and 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 ask my my children; they will happily tell you all the things I'm bad at. <laughs> I love that. I also love that you um, did. You take your your wife took your uh, your 24 time rejected book and then published it at Kinko's, correct? It is to this day published by Kinko's. It I sits love on my that. Shelf, and I, I, you know what? I do love that too. I love the fact that, you know, that book still sits there, and it's a reminder to me every day of how hard it is. And you know what? It's hard for me every day too. I've been doing this 25 years now. The Lightning Rod is our 25th year of me as a published author. And every day that I sit down to write, I know it looks all easy when you see a finished book and it looks like, oh, mm -hmm. you just read all these great accolades. As a, as a very, very famous author said to me when I was panicking on my second book because I thought it was so hard, he said to me, it's okay to admit it's hard. If it was mm -hmm. easy, everyone would do it. And Absolutely. I said, thank you. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Well, in a lot of your books, um, you've got fiction and nonfiction, but a lot of them have ties to our nation's capital and the people who live, work, and serve there. Um, as a DC tour guide, I'd like to know what draws you to tell those kinds of stories. You know, I, I've learned one thing over the years, and it's just simply that I'm not that special. If, if there's something that I find fascinating, then there's going to be hopefully other people who are equally fascinated by it. So when I found out that there were secret tunnels below the White House, I was like, oh, I want to know where those are. And <laughs> it turns out so did my readers, right? And and when I did the right. hidden labyrinth below the Capitol, I was like, I think that's interesting. And so each book is just me. You know, when I was in my 20s, I wrote about 20-year-olds in Washington, D.C. because I was in my 20s. And when I mm -hmm. got to my 30s and I got married, I wrote about a married couple. And then I had kids and I, I started writing kids' books. And, you know, my, par my parents passed away and suddenly one of my main characters is a mortician. So, of course, I'm obsessed with death. And another one is, mm -hmm. is a, a younger woman because I'm a father now. So mm -hmm. all I'm really doing decade after decade is just telling my own story and knowing that my story is, is you know, so similar to so many other people's stories out there. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's really powerful. You said something and I know you have a... Um one of your your big foundational threads that kind of ties everything together too is that ordinary people change the world and i think there's so much power in that and um your when i went to your website and i looked at that it actually really resonated with me because i have spent nearly 30 years in a career 
that actually rewarded you for being the first or the best or the only and you know to retire and feel like i'm not that special and and your message really really was impactful so i'm i'm grateful for that and uh, i i love that that your real life experiences whatever phase of life you are um are in is weaved through your stories because like you said it's going to resonate with somebody else as well listen i believe ordinary people change the world and i believe in the power of, of an ordinary person but i also know there's no such thing as an ordinary person mm -hmm. yep i love that now okay so you've you've got some pretty heavy hitter names that helped you research your your washington focus books like uh, former President Bill Clinton, former President George H.W. Bush, among others. How does that happen? And what's the most memorable thing about those conversations? Well, first of all, <laughs> the way that they happen is almost absurd. I remember the first one I got, I think President Clinton, while he was president, I got a letter from him. And then <laughs> I remember getting one at home from President George H.W. Bush. And I, and I honestly thought it was fake. And yeah. I, so much so, because when I worked on Capitol Hill as an 18-year-old intern, you know, you have access to the pen signing machine. And mm -hmm. we used to take the, I used to take the pen signing machine and from the senator, and I would write letters to my friends in the Senate, from Senate Judiciary Committee stationary, and I'd write letters to my friends, and I would tell them they were being deported, and then I would sign up with the <laughs> senator's name. So I just thought, this is someone playing a joke on me. Like, that was what right. I would do for their birthdays and have fun. So I thought, this is obviously fake, so much so that I called President Bush's office, and I said, hey, listen, because um, he wanted a signed copy of a book. And I, I was like, okay, well, someone's <laughs> going to get me for a free book. And so I, I called, I said, yeah, so, someone wrote me. I don't. I just want to know who to make the book to. And they said, oh, you, you got the president's letter. And I'm like, what? And oh, my gosh. And it was really from the president. And, and then I was so fascinated by the idea of like, here's this guy is the most powerful person in the world one day. And then the next day he has to stop at red lights like the rest of us. And I was like, right. can you imagine it? And listen, Mo, this is what you were just talking about. Imagine if you knew in your life that you peaked that everything you do, when you're the president, that's what it is, right? Nothing you do will ever be as exciting as those four to eight years you get. Everything else will pale and you know it. And what's it like? And so I, I wrote to him and said, sir, can I come see what your life is like? And he said, wow. why don't you come to Houston for the week and spend some time with me and Barbara? And I was like, you and Barbara? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're just all friends now. <laughs> then I went to and spent, I mean, I had unprecedented access uh, to the bushes for that. I mean, it was, and they became dear friends of mine, of course. And, but, and, and president Clinton, I've spent time with him and was very kind when I was researching. But the truth is if, if you're to answer your question, I just wrote books and they happened to like them. And that was really the best thing you could ever ask for is because, you know, anyone who meets a president, you ever, have you ever met a president Mo? Uh, not to the degree you have, <laughs> but you've met, but you've met one. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. You know, that you have a story to tell forever. I guarantee you. So tell me, what, what president did you meet? I actually met Trump and his wife uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. A few years ago. And you, I, I'll wager that you can tell me everything that happened for those, whether it was a one-second meeting or a 20-minute meeting, you can tell me everything you remember about that day and that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing is when you're with presidents, time slows down because you, all you're doing is going, that's the president, that's the president, that's the president, that's the president. And you're trying to be cool but you know it's the president and you're seeing the secret service and you're seeing where everyone is. And I don't care how cool you think you are. No one's that cool. <laughs> yep. 
that's that that's just awesome though it's it's awesome that you have those stories and it's it's inspiring you know um but and what i like is you've you've written books for adults but you also have some children's book we talked about that in the very beginning um and i know it's important to share uh, those virtues and talents with your kids and it also inspires the next generation of americans right so they have to find that hero in themselves and you are also a very um uh on the board for the museum but all those values that you write about and that you share are super important uh, to the National Medal of Honor Museum. And as a member of that board, you've also partnered with um, uh, DC Comics and the museum and legendary comic artist Jim Lee to write a special graphic novel, novel about uh, Sal Gionta, who's a Medal of Honor recipient. So kind of the same question as before, how did that partnership come about and why is it important for you to be a part of that? Yeah. So to unpack that one by one. So my, you know, my belief in, in our hero, you know, we do a line of heroes books with I'm Amelia Earhart. I am Abraham Lincoln. I am Rosa Parks. I am Robert Einstein. I wanted to give my kids better heroes to look up to heroes of, of compassion and perseverance and kindness. My son who loves sports, I was like, forget sports, millionaire mm -hmm. overpaid athletes meet this guy. I wrote him. I am Jackie Robinson. My daughter mm -hmm. loves animals. I was like, you want to see what you can do with, with science and your love of animals? Here's I am Jane Goodall. And my youngest, mm -hmm. who's a dreamer and loves Lego, I did, you know, I am Jim Henson and I am Walt Disney for him. And the reason I got involved with the Medal of Honor Museum is they truly, they brought me on and I, I was brought in because I was very, it was very vital to me that the museum is not just telling, hey, here's what happened in 1950. And then here's what happened in 1960 and here's what happened in 1970, but that this was going to be a museum that was about those values, that those yep. core values that we, that it feels like in modern times we've lost. And as a culture, we need to claim them back. And I love the museum for that. So I've been one of the biggest proponents of saying, you know, this is a history museum, but, but my, I said to them when I first came on the board, my value, I hope to you is that is being able to help you tell the story of these people. And I don't mean just what happened on that date, but the, the value that's behind that selflessness, the value that's behind that camaraderie, that value that's behind that humility. Remember when humility mm -hmm. was a great American value? We yeah, lost right? it yep. and, and we need, we need it back again. So, and to answer your second, so that's how I got involved with the museum. Um, and one of the, things that I think I got, I do a lot of work with the USO and I met them through there. And I also met them when we found the 9-11 flag that the right. firefighters famously raised at ground zero, that flag went missing and, and we used a TV show to help find it. And I basically met people on the board from that and they asked me to, to join the board. So that's how I got onto the board. But as to the really insane question, we, we kind of glossed over it, but how did I bring Batman into the Medal of Honor Museum is really, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. and Sal, who, and Sal Junta is, who's one of the nicest, most amazing and, 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 uh, humble people I've ever encountered, um, was we were trying to do what the mission was, which I was like, I want to make sure that kids get this message. So I do a lot of work with DC comics, Jim Lee's the greatest Batman artist living today without question. And I happened to know Jim very well. And I said, listen, I'd love to do a story where we tell a Batman story. And and I, this is how I pitched it to the museum and how I pitched it to Jim. And I said, and, and we're watching Batman and you see Batman with Commissioner Gordon and you see him and they're telling the story of Batman. And they said, 
you know, he was like three people, you know, were shot and, and Batman kept going forward, even though they were shooting at him. And then they hit him in the shoulder and he kept going forward. And then they hit him in the leg and he kept going forward. And while you're reading this caption, you think you're reading the story of Batman. And then what you wind up doing is what you're really reading is you see. And then when I met this young man in the Oval Office, I was impressed by, and you were like the Oval Office and you turn the page Mm -hmm. and you see President Obama putting the Medal of Honor on Sal Junta and Mm. awarding. And the story that you're really reading this whole time is not Batman, even though you have seen Batman, but it's Sal's story. And it was through the kindness of Sal and and General Brady who helped us get Sal on board. And uh, DC Comics was so kind and and really lent us Batman because they knew that this was a, you know, kids are maybe not want to read about a story from Vietnam or a story from World War One. But boy, do they want to read Batman. And this would give us an opportunity to share that. So I love the fact we got to pull that off. That's cool. And it's a great way to reach, like you said, somebody who may not otherwise pick up that story. Um, and what I love too, and this is also what I love about your I Am um, children's book series, is you don't focus on Amelia Earhart, personal hero, and Abraham Lincoln, personal hero, as president or aviatrist. You you focus on them as kids, which kind of goes back again to that, you know, we, we can all make a change, we can all make a difference, and we all start, you know, as this as a young person trying to figure it all out. And so I like how you you kind of uh, foreshadow the greatness that they're going to become, but focusing on who they are as kids. Um, and you mentioned it too, you are at your core a storyteller. Uh, so whether it's comics, kids books, fiction books, adult books, uh, TV shows, all those things, what plans do you have to weave the Medal of Honor into any future projects? It's funny you ask because I already did. So I, you know, the truth is I'm a board member on for the Medal of Honor Museum. Of uh-huh. course, I'm going to sneak it in everywhere I can. So there's a, there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene in the lightning rod is the new book. Um, I'll set it up for you. Really, I'll give you. Uh, so basically, I always start with my own fears, and the book opens up with a valet being handed car keys at a fancy restaurant, and the guy hands mm-hmm. his keys to the valet. The valet takes the car instead of parking it. It's a little GPS button on the steering wheel and says the magic words, go home. And mm-hmm. now he is going, the valet is driving to the man's house. He's got his car keys and he's got the man's house keys that are on there too, because he's planning to rob him. It's going to be a robbery. And when the valet breaks into the house, he sees that there's actually someone already there waiting for him with a gun. This is not a robbery mm-hmm. at all. This is a trap. And when his body goes to Dover Air Force Base and our, our mortician who used to work there, they find something hidden on the valet's body and uh, on the body there that no one was supposed to see. And it leads to one of the government's most closely guarded secrets. Now, I just ruined chapter one of the lightning rod for you. Um, that's you still got to read it. No, I've read <laughs> it. You still got to read, read it because it, it's so good. <laughs> but, but you saw in there, I know you've read it. You saw that there happened to be someone, a Medal of Honor mentioned in there. Um, right. And I believe that you have to, you know, I just put it in there. I could obviously put whatever I want, but I'll put a Medal of Honor recipient. Um, mm-hmm. I'll build them into the book because uh, it's the, you know, we, we forget sometimes what that, that role that uh, is sometimes, you know, people see things in all different places. And sometimes it's in the newspaper mm-hmm. and sometimes it's in a White House video. Sometimes it's a comic book and sometimes it's in the, the newest thriller you're reading. But to have right. that mention, uh, I just think you got to keep that drumbeat going. And I love the fact we got to use the new thriller to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I would propose to you, too, I think you have the Justice League of Lego uh, all in Lego. I think you could add a Medal of Honor recip right there in your Lego collection. I think that'd be How awesome cool. Thing. I know. Well, you know, someone, there's a guy, there's a reader out there who made a, um, a Lego figure of me. 
And I was like, don't make it of me. Like make it of, I would <laughs> love to, I, I should ask them to make one of Sal. That would be great. That would be awesome. Sign me up. I'll take one of each, one of each. <laughs> I mean, truly. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the, um, the lightning rod and it's a follow-up to um, the escape artist, which was a New York times bestseller. And dude, your writing is just phenomenal. And so I loved it. Cause I was telling you earlier, I don't normally read fiction books and I could not put this down. And uh, so we got Zig Zigarowski and the artist Nola Brown. Um, and you've told us a little bit, you've already spoiled chapter one. And you've also told us that we can probably, uh, if we get in your car hit, go home on the GPS, it won't take us to the right place. Um, but uh you know, I love, I love, I know you're on book tour right now, but what else can readers look forward to with this latest installment and, and following these two around? Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you asking. I mean, for me, I found these characters because of my involvement with the military. I, I do a lot of work, as I mentioned, with the USO. I've been to Kuwait and Qatar and Oman and Turkey and Cuba, that wherever they bring thriller writers, they have me go out and tell stories to the troops. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I really first heard of Dover Air Force Base. And we all know Dover, we just didn't know the name of it for me. Dover is, of course, that place where when our fallen service members, when their bodies come back to the United States and you see those flag covered coffins coming off the planes, that's Dover. And mm -hmm. what I was struck by are the people who take care of our fallen soldiers there, the morticians who take care of the bodies that will spend 12 hours rewiring someone's jaw and smoothing it mm -hmm. over with clay because someone wants to see their son one last time or rebuilding someone's mm -hmm. hand from scratch mm -hmm. because a mother says she wants to hold her daughter's hand one last time. Yeah. And Dover is a place where, you know, it's not just our fallen service members, but it's when the space shuttle crashed, the astronauts bodies went to Dover. When 9-11 happened, all the victims from the Pentagon went to Dover. And even all of our spies, our CIA agents all across the world, when something bad goes, when it goes south, their bodies go to Dover too, mm -hmm. which means Dover is a place that's filled with secrets. And I love secrets. So, <laughs> so you get to see the world of Dover. And then you get to see also, um, I was on a tour of a military base in Virginia and I saw this, I was in this warehouse filled with art, military art. And I was like, why does the army have all these paintings? Mm -hmm. And they explained to me, and this is true, that since World War I, the US Army has had a painter on staff who paints disasters as they happen whether it's a mm -hmm. storm in the beaches of Normandy, whether it's Vietnam, 9-11. And I'm like, you're telling me everyone else is racing in with guns blazing and you've got someone racing in with nothing but paintbrushes in their pockets? I was like, <laughs> that guy is, whoever has that job, that guy's crazy. I want to meet him. I got to meet him. And they said, you mean her. You want to meet her. It was a woman named Amy Brown. And I named Nola Brown, our character. She's nothing like Amy, who's just the nicest person in the world. Nola's a <laughs> stone cold killer, of course, but I named it in honor of her just as a thank you for all she taught me about the position. And you, and you know, these are the two main characters. And, and obviously I told you the plot of how it's set up, but to me, the fun of the lightning rod is, is the re as you said, the research, I love the research. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we mentioned, I, I've taken readers in the underground tunnels below the White House, but for this book, my research, I found out that the government, the U.S. government actually has about a dozen secret warehouses hidden all across the country to deal with bioterror attacks, whether it's mm -hmm. anthrax, whether it's smallpox. And it means that if you if there's an attack in New York or Washington, D.C., California, Texas, Idaho, anywhere in between that they will have within hours antidotes delivered to that city. And I said, you're telling me the government has 
secret warehouses hidden all across the country, sometimes right in front of our face. We don't even know what's there. And no one gets to go inside. No one knows what's in there. And I was like, I want to know what's in there. <laughs> and, uh, and and you've seen well, and what, the what's your What's your security clearance like now? Well, you got a TSSCI you, or what? I, listen, I have the best security clearance of all, which is I make crap up for a living, right? Nice. And that means, I, it means I'm not Bob Woodward, right? Like if a reporter has right, to right, come right, in and right. learn this stuff, like I'm not that guy, right? Like I, I the Secret Service has helped me with, with, for 20 years now with my thrillers. Why? Because I keep their trust. Like they, yeah. they say to me, hey, Brad, listen, we're going to tell you about this secret thing. You can't write about it. But we, you need to understand it so you can write about this thing, which, yes, you can't write about. We'll teach you about that. And for 20 years now, I'm a man of my word. They tell me not to write about it. I never write about it. So when you get to those scenes at the end of the, the lightning rod in that secret warehouse, and you go inside there, what's inside that, you know, the final scenes of the book take place in there. I didn't mm -hmm. make up what's in there. What you see in there is really what's in there. Right. And that's the I fun, you know, to me, that's the fun of the book. Like what I, and, and, and as for that security clearance, like, listen, let, let me also be clear. I always change the security protocols and I move the warehouses. So you never saw the real location. Like right. I love that people love to read my books, but not at the cost of national security. So Absolutely. I'm, you know, so if, if, Every time I see a certain, you know, that's the one thing we always change is, is the security. I will always, always change from what it really is. Well, that's awesome. See, that's what makes you so trustworthy. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, the other thing is, is so, it, what's funny is over the years, you know, I, I literally have the blueprints to the White House in my house. Okay. Nice. Everyone's like, how'd you, how'd you get the blueprints to the White House? I'm like, well, because back before 9-11, I realized that the, the White House is actually the blueprints were run by the park service. It was overseen by the park service. Right. And if you, mm -hmm. if you sent a letter to the park service with $5 for postage, they would send you the blueprints of the white house. And I was like the only person who did, I sent my five bucks <laughs> and I got a copy. And then they were like, they stopped doing it. Of course, after 9 11 happened, but I literally have the blueprints to the building. And, and no, I'm just hang on, hang on, Brian. enough to ask. No, no, I have a question. Did, did you ask for it or did you auto pen another letter from the uh, Senator and ask for it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, by the way. That's the power of the auto pad. I know. I know. Hey, look, I want to be respectful of your time. So I, I want to say a couple things. Like you talked about the lightning rod. And one thing, um, I, my, one of my friends who used to be the commander of AFMOA there at Dover, um, the Mortuary Affairs Office. And um, I love the insight that you give readers into how much care and compassion is given to the um, to the fallen service members, and uh, so I, I so thank you very much on behalf of the Air Force who runs that too. That that you um, gave people that insight, and because that that part is true, how much care they do, uh, like you said, rebuilding the jaw or the hand, and all those things that we do uh, right by the service member and their family. Um, but before we close, because I know you're on a tight schedule, I want to return to the topic of American heroes because I read about your experience with former President George H. W. Bush just before he passed away. And so to give some uh, background for everybody, you wrote, Brad, an amazing article in USA Today a couple years ago about how um, you and your wife had gone to President George H.W. Bush's home in Kennebunkport, Maine. Uh, you got to read to him from one of your nonfiction books. Side note, that is rock star status to A, get to meet with the former uh, POTUS, and then B, notice your book sitting on his desk, and then C, to get your read, uh, to get to read your words to him, and I know the article, which we'll link in the show notes. You you talked about the transfusion of life that you provided him by reading the Declaration of Independence as a part of your story, but I I want to know more about the visit. So, what do you want to tell us about the visit or that yeah. time with him? 
So this was the, I mean, again, of all the things I've done in my life, this may be the craziest moment. And <laughs> what, what people didn't know, obviously, President Bush passed away a few years ago. What people didn't know at the time, and we couldn't say at the time, is they were inviting his favorite authors to come read to him. And I got the call. And so I go to, I'm in Kennebunkport. They bring me in. Secret Service says to me, listen, he's, he just, he's sleeping a lot. He's going to fall asleep after five minutes of reading to him, but, you know, and then you'll leave. And I thought, that's great. I'm honored to be here. And so I walk into the office, Secret Service leaves, and I know it's the end. Wow. I know what shape he's in. I can see. It's, it's mm-hmm. all it's in there is it's my wife, myself, President Bush, and his service dog, Sully. And I see on his desk one of my book, The First Conspiracy. It's about a secret plot to kill George Washington. And President Clinton and President Bush had given me blurbs on the book. They read early copies they had. And it was like dog-eared, like I've been read so many times. And I said to him, sir, you want to read this? And he's like, mm-hmm, because at that point he can't speak. He's just right. going, mm-hmm or uh-uh. And I brought, as you said, I brought the scene, the chapter I read from was the chapter where George Washington has the Declaration of Independence read to his troops for the very first time. And President Bush, five minutes into the chapter, he's sleeping. And I'm like, just great. I'm going to finish the chapter and be on my way. And then, Mo, I get to those words, those words we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And in that moment, President Bush's eyes pop open. And like you said, it's truly like he had an infusion. It's like the Declaration of Independence was pumped into his veins. And he's locked on me. And I just was, you know, I, I said to him, sir, I got to the end of the chapter. He's wide awake still. I said, sir, you want to read another chapter? Uh-huh. And another wow. chapter? Mm-hmm. And another? Mm-hmm. And by the time I'm done, and instead of being there for five or 10 minutes, I was there for an hour. And, you know, to be able to read about the first president who at that point, the person who was the oldest living president on this planet was one of the most humbling moments of my entire mm. life. And I, 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 you know, when you're having a moment and you know, you're having a permanent memory, yep. my wife and I literally looked at each other when we walked out the door, both of us dumbfounded at this point. And we spent a lot of time with president Bush and Mrs. Bush. We've done a ton of events with them over the years. They are two, they were two of my favorite people. I mean, Mrs. Bush and I recreated the Lucy's chocolate conveyor belt scene. She and I, oh. We literally recreated the chocolate. If you put in Barbara Bush and and Brad Meltzer and chocolate and Lucy's chocolate, you'll see it. We literally, I'm dressed as Lucille Ball. She is Ethel. And we are, I'm eating a thousand chocolate. We've had such adventures and silliness, but we looked at each other then and we were like, how are we in this moment right now? Mm -hmm. Like that was beyond all things you can ever anticipate. And, and, you know, it was, I, I mean, the only thing I can describe is we were dumbfounded. That's awesome, though. It's it's awesome that you had that moment, but it's even more awesome that um, that's just my thesaurus there just failed me. Um, it's even more powerful that you recognized that moment and took the time to appreciate it and kind of hit, you know, control P on your brain and say, this is, uh, you know, we want to save this and print this and remember this, um, that moment to live in the now like that. That's so awesome that you have that experience and that you appreciated it. Oh, my gosh. I'll, ne- I'll never forget. I mean, and and the thing was is, for the first year or two, whatever it was, I forget it. They, I remember at one point, his chief of staff, Jean Becker, who I adore, is one of the nicest people on the planet. She said to me, I want you to tell the story. And mm. I hadn't said a word about it. So we just, it was just this beautiful little thing we carried around ourselves. And you know what? That's enough. That was enough. It was fine for like a year or two or three, whatever it was. I, don't, I can't even tell you what that time period, it couldn't have been three because obviously it just passed. But um, 
but she finally said, you should tell the story. And I was like, you got it. And I love the fact that even now after he's gone, you know, when, when, when they invited us to president Bush's funeral, we went to Mrs. Bush, you know, we were invited to Mrs. Bush as well and went there. And the one thing I remember when president Bush died is that over and over, there was one word that kept being used in all the tributes to him. And it was this word, decency, decency. Mm -hmm. And I know it was because he was a decent man, but I also firmly believe it was because as a culture right now, we're starving for decency and we're starving for those heroes. We're a culture starving for heroes, especially from leadership. You know, we forget that leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. And I love the fact that the Medal of Honor Museum is proof of that. It's proof of people who are taking care of those in their charge. Every hero that's in there did exactly that. And it's why, you know, for me, it's the very, very best part of being a board member for the Medal of Honor Museum. It's why I put them in my books. It's why I tell their stories in, in comics. It's why I feel this need to make other people hear this story because I really do believe that all of our lives are a story and we're all part of this. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't think it always, but we all are part of this connected story and we need to start acting like it again. And, and, and yep. sometimes you need the heroes to remind us of that. Well, I'm so glad that uh, that you are reminding us of that and that you are weaving them through your story. Um, and that's what makes you a decent man. So thank you for bringing decency back. Um, last question, and this will this will be a nice bookend to the beginning of our conversation. Um, and of all the things that you've done in your life, I said writer, TV, uh, TV host, lover of secret compartments, government advisor, member of the Justice League. You know, there's just not enough bandwidth to continue the list <laughs> right now. But my question is actually about the opposite. What is it that you haven't done yet that is on your bucket list of must do's? Oh, you're so good. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to do okay. like, usually like if you got, if you got me like in year one, I'd be like, Oh, I'm just so happy to be here. And I, you know, I give you all these baseball quotes and say, I'm taking it one right, day right, at a right. time. I mean, I listen, I still would love to see one of our books turned into a film. It doesn't need to happen. I don't care about it happening, but, but mm -hmm. That's just fun. And it would just be fun because whatever, it would just be a hoot, but we've done TV shows. So it's not like a really like the biggest thing, but I guess I would love to, um, I'd love to direct. I'd love to maybe, and I, I, and it's the first time I've ever said that out loud anywhere, but I just feel like, Good. and you know why I, I say it? Because I never have done it. Like the, I, what's interesting to me, and this is a perfect place to end is years ago, my brother-in-law, is like a business consultant. He said to me, this is the start of my career. He's like, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? I was like, I don't know, writing more books, I hope. And he's like, no, no, but really, you got to, where do you want to see yourself 10 years from now? And, and I just always be like almost annoyed by it. I'm like, I don't know. And <laughs> it finally dawned on me as I was coming for the, for the tour, for the new thriller, for the lightning rod, it finally dawned on me why that question drove me so crazy. Because I finally realized I don't ever want to know the end of the story. Why mm. would you ever want to know the end of your story? Right. And there's no sure way to ruin a story than knowing the ending. So I love the fact, Mo, that you are, and I are part of this story with the Medal of Honor Museum. We're yep. part of this intertwined story. And, and I think if we can, as a culture, think of ourselves as, as being not just having our own individual stories, but this kind of living, breathing story that is here in these United States, uh, I think the world will be a, a lot better place. And I think we have to kind of like stop fighting with each other. And and I think, you know, all the misinformation that's out there, it's like the biggest threat to democracy to me. But I think if we yeah. can realize that we're all part of the same story, 
um, we'll get to a, a far happier ending. That's awesome. And that is the message we need to keep spending. So I'm so glad that you're part of the Medal of Honor Museum. Um, we, we need that. That's the energy we need. Um, I, I want to thank you again for joining us today. I know it's been a busy month. You've got the launch of the Lightning Rod. I know you're on tour. Um, we are just thrilled that you chose to spend a bit of time with us. And for folks who, after this conversation, now really need to do a deep dive on Brad, um, or, or as he's known uh, as just today, the decent director, um, or you want to get an order of his new book, you can head over to Brad, bradmeltzer.com for all the goodies. You can even get a peek behind the secret passageway up to his writing room. I took a, a nice tour. It's a good it's a good thing you have on your site there. And for folks who want to learn more about the National Medal of Honor Museum, you can just type in mohmuseum.org to get the latest updates and find out how you can help its mission to inspire America. That's it for us today. Please join us the next time on the Mission Inspire podcast. Mm-hmm.